I had a really unusual experience this last week. I was given the gift of a 1991 Ford F-150 truck in really good condition. Uh, I'll be giving tours later today. Uh, it's out there in the parking lot. So I got this, I mean, through an, a, really an acquaintance, just out of the blue. Uh, he said, our families, were, we've outgrown the use of this truck. We'd like to bless somebody with it and prayed about it. And your name came to mind. And I don't know why that would be the case. Uh, but last Sunday, he drove it out and he and his wife drove it out and handed it over to me. And so now I've got this, this awesome truck. So what should I do with it? Right, what, what, what kind of a gift is a truck? So if I took it now and, and I, I, you know, I figured out how to get it, uh, I, I took it in my front yard or my backyard and, and, I, and I put it up on blocks, you know, take the tires off and then I kind of turn it into a, like a, the centerpiece of a landscape installation featuring this gorgeous, uh, well taken care of F1 classic truck, right? So if I, I do this. I called I call the guy that gave it to me. I said, oh, I'm so thankful for this gift. I've always wanted one of these trucks. I love this truck. It's beautiful. Let me t- I want to show you what I've done with it. And so he comes out and, and, and I, now close your eye or whatever. I don't know. And we go back and we see it. And, oh, it's up there on blocks. Just gorgeous. And I've got all these perfect flowers just to draw out the little hues of blue in it. You know, he would be, what are you doing with this truck? Right, what kind of gift is a truck? He would be very frustrated to find out that that's what I did with his truck, that I turned it into an art installation. It's not that kind of gift, right? We're in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. In 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, we find a unique density of language relating to grace and gift. These, are the two, these two chapters have more uses of words for grace and gift than anywhere else in Scripture, and a higher density of those words as well. Paul wants us to understand something about the gift that we've been given. And there's a sense in which that's what we're trying to do every single Sunday morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says that God has given us His Spirit to help us understand the things freely given to us in Christ. We need help understanding what kind of gift we have. And so we've got these two chapters here with this unique kind of focus and explanation on what grace is and what this gift that we have is to help us understand. Because we have some kind of misunderstanding about the kind of gift that we have in Jesus. We naturally misunderstand the nature of this gift. And I think especially in this country, For the last 150 years, we have a uniquely growing and powerful misunderstanding of this gift that you and I have been marinating in from the day we were born. And that is the the teaching that's commonly called the health, wealth, prosperity teaching. They have an understanding of the gift that we've received in Jesus that is wrong and really damaging. So they would say, we'd say, what is the nature of the gift that we've been given in Christ? And they would say, here's the nature of the gift that you've been given. You have been given a golden key. You have been given wealth in Christ. You just need to reach out. You just need to claim it. You just need to to name that wealth and take it for yourself. All these riches are yours in Christ. And, And you've been given, and the nature of the gift is that you've been given health. All your sicknesses were taken by Jesus, and so you don't have any more. <laughs> no, no, that's not a sickness. That's just dust. 
<laughs> Maybe it's angel dust. I don't know. You've been given perfect health. You've been given prosperity. Everything, if you just believe it, if you, everything you touch is, is yours. Your success in every venture, go get it. Go find it. And so we've got this kind of corruption, this corrosive teaching on what is the nature of the gift that we have. And this has influenced every single one of us. And so for that reason, we're going to be doing a little bit of a deeper dive on the passage we talked about last week. We're going to be kind of shrinking it a little bit and, and walking through it, thinking about these things a little bit more carefully because this is such a misunderstood subject. And at the same time, a proper understanding of it holds out a lot of power and a lot of hope to us. So we want to be careful to kind of detoxify our understanding of this passage while not getting rid of the power of what the Word of God is saying for us. So let's pick it up here at the beginning with a brief review of what we talked about last week. So the aim of what Paul is trying to do in these two chapters, his objective is that the Corinthian church would give generously and gladly. Look with me at chapter 9, verse 5. At the end of it, you can see this. Paul says, I want this gift, I want it to be ready as a willing gift and not as as an exaction. And in verse 7, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul's hope is that the Corinthian church will honor their pledge and give generously and gladly to this collection. The principle, why he thinks they should do this, is in verse 6. It says, the point, really the, the principle undergirding my request is this, that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, I'm going to say some things that are going to skirt, are going to make you a little bit uncomfortable because they do kind of skirt the language of the health, wealth, prosperity teaching. But I'm going to draw it back and make sure that we're clear on what this is. So I've got kind of a a fine line to walk here. So the point of this sowing and reaping principle, another way to state it is, if you give generously, you should expect to receive generously. The one who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So that's the principle. And now why that works, the claim here, let's keep going in verse 7. The end of verse 7, Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver, and so God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, And now look with me at verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Simply stated, God blesses glad-hearted givers. God blesses glad-hearted givers. All right, so before we qualify that to death. We're going to keep going here in these verses and think about the logic of what Paul is saying. Let's look at verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. 
All right, so just, again, the aim here is to give generously and gladly. These are blanks in your bulletin if you're following along. The principle is to give generously and expect to receive generously. Expect to receive generously. And the claim is that God blesses glad-hearted givers. So what we just read in verse 8, that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you will abound in every good work. The claim here is this. God wants you to know his peace so that you abound in good works. God wants you to abound in every good work. That's, that's the, the thing that God wants. He wants you to abound in every good work. And therefore, for that reason, God is going to give you what you need. God wants you to abound in every good work, so he's going to give you the sufficiency, the contentment, so that you're free to do it, and he's going to give you all the grace that you need so that you can abound in it. So the prerequisite to, how do we get to the end of verse 8 where I'm abounding in every good work? Well, first of all, I've got to, beginning of verse 8, have all grace abound to me and feel that as sufficient. All grace has to abound to me to the extent that I feel full contentment in all things at all times. Now, I want you to notice, right, in that verse, what's the, the most reoccurring word is, is all, right? Every phrase has an all, 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 all. All grace will abound so that you have all sufficiency in all things at all times so you can abound in every good work. So there's five in that little verse of all and every. So Paul wants to make sure that we understand there's a linkage between the, the gift of God that's given you all of this contentment that's cutting you loose for all of these good works. God and the need and the doing. So how do we feel? Do we feel like God and what he's done for us is sufficient? Or do we feel ourselves to be in, in need? Do we live in a world where God is, where we have scarcity or where we have abundance. Paul said in chapter 8 that Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that we by his poverty might become rich. Do we have what we need in Jesus from God? Do we have it? And the answer is yes. We do have what we need. The, the Word of God says that we have an abundance. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. All of the promises of God are yes for those who are in Christ. We have them. But do we, do we have them? Right? You've you got to notice the meal and you've got to eat it. Right? I, can tell you when I, I can tell you where a Culver's is. Right? There is Cul there's a Culver's there. And there is a very sufficient meal waiting in there for me. But if I drive by it, if I drive by it and drive by it and I never go in there and I never get it and I never sit down and eat it, I'm not going to be content. I know where it is. I know it's there. I believe it's there, but I never eat it. I never bring it into me. God has given us all the grace that we need. But do we experience it as sufficient? Are we made content for all things at all times because of it? 
That's a little bit of a lingering question for us. All right, so God wants, he wants us to know peace. He wants us to do good works. And so God is going to give us what we need. He says this same kind of thing in verse 10. Look at verse 10 with me. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. God, another way to say God is going to give us what we need is this. God is going to make sure that we have the seed that we need to experience the harvest that he wants. God is going to make sure that we have the seed that we need to experience the harvest that he wants. Now the seed, to connect verses 8 to 10, the seed is not just God's grace that he makes to abound to us. Because what do you do with seed? Right, having a bag full of seed sitting on your shelf, doesn't, you're not going to have a garden full of fruit at the end of the summer. You've got, to, you've got to take the gift and stick it in the ground. So the seed is actually all of verse 8. The seed is all the grace that's abounding to me and all the sufficiency I feel as a result and every good work that I do. It's everything that we have from God and do for God. It's everything that we have from God that we then stick in the ground. It's all that we stick in the ground for God's sake. Paul says in chapter 12, verse 15, a verse that I I think really has a strong bearing on this passage. Paul says, I gladly spend and be spent for the sake of Jesus and for you. What is that? that? That is the seed. Everything that I'm sticking in the ground in hope. So what is it for you? What in your life is a gift from God? Think about some of the gifts that you have. Your money is a gift from God, certainly, but also your energy, your time, your creativity, your wisdom, your experiences. All of these things are also gifts from God. It's everything that we have from God that might be given back to Him in order to see disciples made. Everything that we have that might be given to help make disciples together. And that's, that's the harvest. Verse 11, at the very end, it says, you'll be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, and through us that will produce thanksgiving to God. That's the harvest. People who know the glory of Jesus better, as we talked about last week, because of you. So it's not just, it's not just making people glad. It's not just like, oh, I'm so thankful for you. You're so nice. You're so generous. But somehow, through our good works, they, they understand that what we've done to make them glad is attached to Jesus. So that because of our good works, they praise him. Right? The tri- triangle's completed. It's not just they praise me and they think I'm swell. But they get to know Jesus better and his generosity, and his grace, and God's kindness as a result. So it's not just, uh, you know, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. It's necessary to attach our lives to the name of Jesus. That's what we're ultimately trying to accomplish. So that's the harvest. So now we can begin to see a little bit, why does God love cheerful givers? Why does God love cheerful givers because he loves the glory of Jesus 
He wants more than anything people to meet His glory in His Son. And so when people give generously so that others know Jesus better, God is like, that's it. You get it. You got it. Great. You get my heart. You know what's important. God is pumped up by cheerful givers who are giving so that other people give thanks to God for Jesus, thanks to you and me. All right, so now we're approaching the, the real question now. How does God love these cheerful givers? How does God love these cheerful givers? Let's look at verses 10 and 11 again. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. How does God love the cheerful givers? He increases their ability to do good works well. He, just like with tomato plants. How does God love us through tomato plants? Well, there's the tomato, but there's also all those seeds, remember? Stick one tomato plant in the ground right now, and at the end of the summer, you're going to have 40,000 seeds. By the end of next summer, you could have one and a half billion tomato seeds. This is how God loves cheerful givers, is He increases their ability to do good works well. Because what is the point God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you will abound in every good work. That's the thing that God wants to see abound so that there's a harvest of righteousness, which is more and more people being more and more thankful to God for Jesus. So God will make all grace abound to you. Here's what that means. You're going to be more content even more content in what you have from God. And so you're going to be even more free to abound in every good work. That is how God loves these cheerful givers. All right, so when you, when you take your seed gift, when you take your little sow your seed of faith, what are you going to get? You are not going to get money. You are not going to get money. You sow your money gift, you're, going to, you're not going to get money. You are going to get the freedom. You're going to get a sense of freedom that is going to allow you to do more good works, to make more people grateful, to glorify God more. You're going to get a greater ability to do that. You're going to get an increased sense of freedom and ability. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you have a sense of full contentment and you're able to do all these good works. That is what you're going to get. I think it's so interesting. Why, why do we think that you're going to sow money and reap money, right? Why do we, we use, we try to use the sowing and reaping principle just to get more money? We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Now, now that I took all that away, let me get a little bit back. You might get more money. But this is not a way to get money. This is a way to do good works and glorify God. It's a very significant distinction. Now, 
It may be that if, and this is a big, huge if, if you are good at giving money away, if you are good at giving money to the work of Jesus, then there's a good chance that God will give you more money to give away. Right? God wants to fund his kingdom. And so those who, have, who are gifted at giving money away, he, he's going to give them more money to do that with. Right? If you're trustworthy in a little... If you're gifted at giving, and this is the, the sort of thing that I'm always like, you know, I'll give more if you give me more, God. <laughs> right? I know I'm not good at it now, but I just need more. No, no, no. That's not how it works. If you're gifted at giving what you have now, if you're generous right now, God will maybe give you more to give to his kingdom and to his work. But here's the, here's the underlying principle. Whatever it is that you have from God, sow it for Jesus and God will give you more. Whatever it is that you have from God, sow it for Jesus and God will give you more. Let me give you a personal example of this. So, uh, one of the reasons, uh, I was already in pastor training school at the time, but I heard this and I thought, that is awesome. That, one of the reasons I'm excited about being a pastor and why I love being a pastor is something that John Piper, a pastor I was being trained under and mentored under in Minneapolis, said in, uh, in a group setting, he said, and he, he had been a PhD student in Germany, and he had been a seminary professor in Minneapolis, and he left all that to become a pastor. And he said, here's partly why. He said, I think that the Spirit of God gives the people who are feeding the flock of God, who are, who are feeding God's people with the Word, he gives them special insights into Scripture. Because what they get they're going to give to strengthen God's people. And I thought, and certainly if you're familiar with uh, Pastor John's ministry, you're aware that, that that has happened. His academic stuff is really impossible to read. And though I'm sure it's right, I don't know if anybody wants to read it. But his pastoral stuff is extremely helpful and life-changing. And that has been my experience as well. I grew up in a Christian home, I, Christian high school, Bible college, uh, two seminary programs, but I've learned so much from serving this congregation over the last 13 years. Way, way more. And I feel like God is, I feel it gets in abundance. I feel like I have at least a dozen books that I want to write of extraordinary things that I've learned just being here doing this work with you that I'm not even going to get to because, hey, the next Sunday's coming and just, there's just more. There's more insights as I take all this and just sew it back into God's people. So that's one personal example. And it's not just, uh, it's not just positive. We'll talk about some of the negative things in just a minute. Well, let me make this clear. And I don't think I'm overstating this. But I think this is uh, to clarify the point of the passage. God will never give more money to people who just want money. God will never give money to people who just want more money. People who try to extort God, saying, I'm going to sow this seed, and then you got to come through and give me more money. That, that's divine extortion. I'm going to do this little thing, and then give it, give me, give me. That is not going to work. God is never going to do that. Zero times. And that is a gross misuse of this passage 
or any other passage that they proof text to make that, uh, to make that claim. God is never going to give more money to people who just want money. Now, if you sow your money in an intelligent investment portfolio, you'll probably get more money. I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to have more tomatoes at the end of the summer than you did in the spring, right? So there may be something to that. If you make smart financial decisions, that you'll have more money at the end of the fiscal year than you did at the beginning. But that's not like God's blessing on you because you sowed your seed in his ministry. Now, God is never going to give more money to people who just want more money, but someone might. There's someone out there who I think wouldn't mind giving more money to people who just want more money, especially if he can sow confusion among Christians and make many Christians very bitter. And so it might be that you look out on the, the quasi-Christian realm, people who claim to follow Jesus and who talk about sowing a little bit of money into some kingdom venture and then they got you know another jet in their hangar as a consequence, it might be that that stuff exists, but I'm going to tell you right now, that's not from God. But it might be from somebody else. But that kind of thing is only going to confuse people and only going to make people bitter for whom money is the greatest good that their God could give them. Think about that. What is the greatest good that your God can give you? If your God gave you his best gift, this is the very best gift, what would it be? You know, the very people who worship power, the best gift their God can give them is power. People who worship success, the best gift their God can give them is success. People who, whatever it is, people who worship comfort, the best gift their God can give them is comfort. The best gift that, the, that people who People who want money from their God more than anything else, what's their God? Right? If that's the best gift that you get from your God, your God is money. What's the best gift that the God, the, the Father of Jesus, the God of Scriptures gives us is also himself in his Son, our Lord Jesus, and in his Spirit. He gives us his best gift. That's his best gift. He gives us himself. So while God will never give more money to people who just want money, God will... Now here's the kind of the unique teaching here that I don't want to throw away from this passage. God will never give... He's never he's just going to give you more money because you want it. God is always, though, always going to give those who are working, who are trying to work for Jesus, what they need to keep going and growing. God is always going to give the people who are working for Jesus what they need to keep going and keep growing. And, right, uh, he is going to supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness because that's what he wants that harvest of righteousness too, right? He wants the earth to be filled with the knowledge of his glory. Now, what do you need? Here's, here's all the asterisks at this juncture. What is it that you need to keep growing and, and doing a better job helping people meet Jesus? What do you need for that? Maybe also some significant sufferings. 
We have this treasure, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay so that the surpassing greatness of the power might belong to God and not to us. We want to glorify the power of God. It's probably going to be accompanied with sufferings. Paul says a few chapters later, and we've talked about this verse already in our series on 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, 10. Paul says, for the sake of Christ, for the sake of Christ, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. All of these things are part of what Paul needed to keep growing in his ministry for Jesus' sake. And I can tell you that just as much as uh, I've grown in my understanding of Scripture through the work of, of taking my insights and sewing them back into the, the work here, the greatest personal growth in empathy, in patience. How do, how do we grow in these things, right? You get empathy after you have been humbled in a way that you previously despised. That's how you gain empathy. How do you get more patient? How do you get more gracious? You encounter and receive a, a trial or a burden that you previously didn't understand. And now it lands on you and you go, oh my, I need to be more patient with people. Right, so what you need, if what you want is the glory of Jesus, is more people giving thanks to him, sometimes what you're going to need to abound in every good work and to see that harvest of righteousness in your life, sometimes what you're going to need is actually more pain and suffering. That is 100% true in my life. I think it's probably 100% true in your life too. If we could learn humility and graciousness and patience just from a book, that'd be swell but it doesn't appear to work that way. Sometimes this is what we need. Hey, God's going to make sure you got it, though. <laughs> God is going to make sure that you have what you need to keep going for Jesus and growing in this work. All right, so how should we apply this to our lives? We should invest in the work of Jesus. Paul doesn't make a big deal about this here, but I think that we can say specifically investing here in your life, in your neighborhood, in your locality, in your local church, unleashing the gospel and making disciples together here. Invest in the work of Jesus. The seed that you have is for, is for sowing. So what has God given you? Money, other stuff, pain, whatever it is, he has given it to you so that you will join him in making more people grateful for Jesus. Whenever I think about this, I always, I always have this kind of wrestling in myself. Is God going to be faithful? God, are you going to be faithful, though? If I sow this, am, gonna, am I going to see what I want to see? Are you going to increase my harvest of righteousness? Okay, I, want, I want full assurances. I want everything in writing, signed. But the question of the passage is, Am I going to be obedient? That's the question of the passage. The passage is saying, yes, God is going to increase. That's what I'm trying to say. He's going to increase the harvest of your righteousness. Are you going to be obedient? Because my seed, your seed, our seed is not going to be multiplied. And my harvest is not going to increase until I have taken what I have and put it in the ground. Reminds me of Psalm 126, 5 and 6. 
Those who sow in tears. Is there any other way to sow? Whatever it is that you have, whether, you know, whether it is money or whether it's time, whether it's energy, creativity, all, pain, vulnerability, all of these things, whatever it is that you have to sow that God has given you to give, sowing it is hard. Those who sow in tears, though, shall reap with shouts of joy. And the one who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. If we don't do what we can do, we won't do what we could do. If we don't do what we can do, if we don't do the thing that we can do right now, we won't do what we could do, what God is calling us to. Are we going to see from God, are we going to see God do what we want Him to do? You have very specific things in mind when you think about what you want to see God do. And all I can say is probably not exactly what you want. If Listen, all of my precise desires, my precise vision for how I expect God to work is always very much about myself. Right? If our church is praying for revival and God sends it to another church nearby, is that okay? You know, is it wrong to pray that God brings revival through this church to our? No, not at all. But you see, there's a little measure of self. Maybe sin's not the right word. Maybe it is. There's a measure of self in our holiest requests. So probably is God going to answer what you want exactly the way you want it? Is he going to work exactly the way you want him to work? Probably not. But... Is God going to do ultimately what you want and increase thanksgiving for Jesus to the glory of God? That's absolutely what He's going to do. God is working. He is working. And God joins generosity. That's this passage in a nutshell. God wants to join your giving and make it work. And God works. God loves cheerful givers. So the gift of Jesus. The gift of Jesus, the gift of the Spirit, all of the gifts that we have from God together with the Spirit in Christ, all of these gifts are for us. They are all for us. But they are for us the way that that blue F-150 is for me. It's a gift in itself. It's a great gift, but it is a gift for me to use to build memories. It's a gift for me to use to work on projects around the house. That's the kind of gift it is. The gift is not just the gift. The gift is the work that I get to do now. It's the journey that, and the adventure that I get to go on with the gift. That's the gift also. It's the gift and the adventure. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared, the good works God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. 
God created you. He called you to Jesus. And in that gift, here's this other gift. We discover that God has good works for each one of us that he prepared for you and I to do. How do we receive that gift? How do you receive the gift of good works and enjoy that gift? You do them, right? You do the good works. We like, uh, we talk about salvation as being this gift of forgiveness. And that is the beginning of our salvation. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation and also teaching us how to live godly lives. The gift of forgiveness at the beginning of salvation is part of the gift of salvation. But the rest of salvation is being saved from our self-indulgent lives and being given these good works for the glory of God. Right, so, so the adventure is the gift as well. And this also is what God wants to give us in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you who make all grace abound to us in our Lord Jesus Christ and by the gift of the Spirit, You have given us all that we need. Help us to see that gift of all sufficiency so that we might know contentment in all things at all times. And Lord, so that we might abound in every good work. Because as you know, what we want is to see more and more people made glad made glad for the gift of Jesus, the same gift that makes us glad. We want to see them made glad, and we would like to be a part of that. And so would you give us clarity on this subject? And would you let this word dwell in us richly now? As we know that you will provide, help us to obey. In Jesus' name, amen.